0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. We are, uh, that was sort of quiet. Should we try that again? Good morning, church. Good morning. All right, good, good, good. Coffee's kicking in. Love it. We are in a sermon uh, series called Miracles. And um, as we are looking at this sermon series, uh, and, and we're looking at our Bibles and studying what Jesus did, uh, it, it's, it's my hope that we're going to discover that. God is still doing miracles today. And God is still working in our lives today. And we you know, we open up the Bible and, and we look here in the book of John and we're amazed at what he's doing, right? He's still doing things today. And, and you know, that first miracle that Jesus did that we looked at was with the wedding. And it's a moment of celebration. And we see that God looks at the little things in our lives and said, that matters. That matters to me. And then last week we looked at the, the uh, miracle of Jesus healing the... Um, the royal official's son, and that was a tragic moment. Death was there. It's like going from one extreme to the other in a miracle, but today's miracle is a little bit different. What we've learned so far is that God is able. Amen? Look at the person next to you and tell them God is able. If you're by yourself, I'm sorry. Just look across and God's able. All right? But before we do, we're going to take a quiz this morning. Oh, don't worry. This will not affect your grade. You will not be kicked out of the church. Uh, But we're going to take a quiz. Here's the question. Which of the following phrases are not, all caps there, not in the Bible? Which of these phrases are not in the Bible? Moderation in all things. Money is the root of all evil. Cleanliness is next to godliness. This too shall pass. God works in mysterious ways. The eye is the window of the soul. The lion shall lay down with the lamb. Pride comes before the fall. God helps those who help themselves. Which of those are not in the Bible? How many of you think this is a trick question, a trick quiz? Raise your hand. (laughs) Very good, yes. None of them are in the Bible. Sorry, that's the answer. Not one of these phrases are found in the Bible. Now, there's some that are very close Maybe switch around a few words. They're close. Uh maybe one or two are found in a maybe a loose translation of a certain Bible where they've had a different version, but none of these are word for word found in God's scriptures, His holy word. Uh, But that last one listed down there, okay, God helps those who help themselves. Doesn't that sound like a good saying? Doesn't that sound like something that should be in the Bible? You've probably heard somebody have said, I'm sure it's in the Bible somewhere, right? Even with some of those other ones that were listed. And although it sounds like a good saying, and many people may think it's in the Bible, it's not. But quite opposite is true. Let's cross that out. Let's put on what the Bible really says. God helps those who can't help themselves. That is a truth we find in the Bible. And our Almighty God helps the helpless, and we believe that, and we see that. And the greatest means in which God helps us is salvation. Salvation is something we can't earn. We can't fix it on ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We're not entitled to it. Although some people think I'm entitled to salvation. My my mom and dad, my grandma, grandpa, they were Christians. Salvation, we know, is for everyone, but everyone is utterly helpless to achieve it. So only through the grace of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, do we find salvation. We are helpless. Let me say that again. We are helpless. Say that with me. We are helpless. In more ways than one, but it's specifically what I was just saying there was salvation, right? Turn in your Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. If you need a Bible, we have some in the back. We'll have somebody bring one to you if you need John chapter 5 is where we're opening up to today, starting in verse 1. And what we were just talking about, God helps those who help themselves, right? I don't know. God helps the helpless. We're going to see that in this passage. Let's begin reading chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew how long he had been ill, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get there, someone else always gets in ahead of me. And Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat, your sleeping mat, and walk. Instantly the man was healed, so he wrote up the mat and he began walking. But his miracle happened on the Sabbath day. Now, when I was reading that, I actually left out a couple verses. I'll explain why in a little bit, but let me go back and read verses 1 to 4 again. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem when one of the Jewish holy days inside the city near the sheep gate was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches, waiting for a certain movement of the water. Here's the verses that we were missing, right? For an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in the water was was healed of whatever disease we had. Let's 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 break this down and sort of get some background to what's going on here and explain some of this. First of all, we're unsure of which feast this was. It says he was there for a holy day. Something was going on. It is most likely one of three major feasts. We had uh, the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Purim that were going on. Those are three of them. One of those we're not sure. As I look through and study, and nobody's for sure on which one. So although the date is questionable, we are sure of the location. And it's listed right there. I love this because we find history in Scripture so we can prove what is true, what is spoken, right? This pool has been excavated, by the way. They have found it in an area north of the temple area, near which they found five porches. Just as John said, they call that pool now the Pool of St. Anne. So John gives this description, sort of faint at the beginning with time, but then gets a little bit clearer with location, right? but he does even more in describing in greater detail the pool surroundings. Look what he says. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. They're laying on these porches. We sort of picture this this mass of people, of sick and injured people just laying around by this pool in this large area with this hope of healing that somebody's going to make me better, that, that, that maybe... God is really releasing something here and I can have faith or maybe it's just a hopeful legend. Regardless, there's a multitude of sick people that are surrounding here. And although John is reporting this story, he really paints a great picture of humanity today. Apart from the grace of God through Jesus Christ, humanity is spiritually blind and lame and paralyzed. Paralyzed. I don't have this on the screen for you, but turn in your Bibles. You might want to put something back here in John, but just move forward a couple books into the book of Romans, okay? Move into the book of Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 6 with me. Again, keep something there in John. We're going to come right back to that. But Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Paul talks about humanity quite a bit, doesn't he? And what he says in verse 6 is this. When we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We are utterly helpless. We are like, as John described, the people by the pool blind, lame, paralyzed, spiritually speaking. That's what Paul's saying. We're utterly helpless. That word means weak, infirm, feeble. Now, if you or your children have been sick lately, and I know some of you have, this word describes them. They're just lame, they're not themselves. They don't have the energy they have. They can't do what they should be doing. They can't go to school. They can't play. They can't do homework. They can't read. They just sort of lay there. And you look at them and you're like, Ugh, I wish they were 100% again. This is the word Paul's using. Spiritually speaking, though, he's saying the same thing. We're powerless. We're completely incapable of doing anything ourselves spiritually. As much as I want to be spiritually strong, I can't without God. So we have this mass of people who are weak and us. Then we come across that verse that was somewhat confusing that I mentioned. It's, don't let it be alarming to you, okay? These words from where waiting for a certain movement of the water through after the water was stirred, was healed of whatever disease he had, that verse part of 3 and 4, are not in several of the old manuscripts. So if you were to read this in any other translation besides the King James or the New King James, you probably won't find that verse. And again, it's due to the manuscripts that were used in translations for those different uh, Bibles. The New King James, King James Verses, the New Living Translation, or the NIV, right? Nevertheless, the truth of those verses, if it's not found in your Bible, is found in verse 7. Look at verse 7, the sick man said, For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So what's referred to in verses 3 and 4 is again repeated somewhat in verse 7 to help us understand there's a connection here. It's just that those manuscripts did not have it. Now this seemed to be legendary more than real. Seemed to be. See, but if people were genuinely healed by the waters of the pool of Bethesda... It was, wouldn't be one of those unusual occasions in the Bible, would it? We sit there and think, okay, so somebody jumps, the water gets stirred. Somebody jumps in, they get healed. That's sort of weird. Does that, really, that kind of stuff really happen in the Bible? Let me remind you of how some were, were healed by a pot of stew that was purified by Elisha when he threw in uh, that, that flour, or when Naaman was healed by walking into the Jordan River, or when one was healed by touching the bones of Elisha, or some were healed when the shadow of Peter fell upon them in the book of Acts, or some were healed when Peter's handkerchief or Paul's handkerchiefs were laid on top of them. Those all seem weird and different, right? Which sort of when we look at this scripture think, well, that's sort of different. I know this. God can, and God does things in unexpected ways. But we also must remember something here that just because something isn't, something isn't necessarily from God something because it's unexpected or unusual. Because sometimes we'll do that too. Well, that's really unusual, unexpected. It must be from God. Maybe not. But in Scripture we find this story. And when you look at this, every day sick people came in hopes of a miracle. While others maybe just came to, to beg for money. Because I knew there's going to be a lot of people here and people are coming here anyway. And so I'm just going to sit here on the corner and hold up my sign or, or show them what's going on in my life. And maybe somebody will give to me. Maybe it's not I'm going to get in the water and get healed. But maybe I'll gain something else today monetarily or or I'll get some food or I'll get something else that I need. And according to what we were reading is every once in a while the waters would be stirred, is what the legend would say. And the cause of the stirring of the waters was most likely intermittent springs that fed the pool. But a superstition grew around the stirring. And some believe that the stirring was caused by angels. So the first one in the water, when the water got stirred, was going to find healing. That's what they imagined what they believed. And if you could sort of imagine watching this superstitious action of theirs, we'd sit there and say, that's sort of funny. I would, I would have never been there. Okay? All right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but let me ask you, if that was you, would you have showed up there thinking, well, everybody says the water stirred and the first went in. Would you have been there? And you, maybe you're saying, I'm not that way. I'm not superstitious. Let me ask you this. Anybody wear their lucky jersey? on the day your team plays? Or you wear your lucky socks when you play? Does anybody play the lottery on their birthday? Or are they cautious to walk under a lantern? Or plan anything on Friday the 13th? I'm sure none of us are superstitious, right? It's bad luck to be superstitious, so don't be superstitious, right? That was a joke, but you don't need to laugh. That's okay. In my house, I'm a Cubs fan, Okay? I'm not superstitious, but I'm just saying, when they're losing, I go to the basement, and for some reason, they start winning. And I've had my wife tell me, and my kids tell me, Dad, leave the room. It's happened. I've walked in, and they were, they were coming back. They were losing. All of a sudden, they're winning. And I come walking back, and they're like, ah, get back out. We're on a comeback. Really? Now, obviously, we joke about that. It's sort of funny that sometimes we do get caught up in sort of superstitious type stuff. But here's the thing. Listen very carefully. When we are caught up in superstitions, we we leave no room for the supernatural action of God. Let me say that again. When we're caught up in the superstitions, we leave no room for the supernatural action of God. God never takes partial credit and good luck gets the rest. Never happens. It's either God or not. Either you believe in God or you don't believe in God. Mark Batterson said this. The opposite of belief isn't just unbelief. It's false belief. Look at verse 5 with me. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and he knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him this question. Would you like to get well? Here's this, this unnamed man suffering from some kind of paralytic condition. He has not walked in 38 years. And apparently, he had frequently come to the pool of Bethesda in hope of some kind of healing. And it was a hope that had been long disappointed. 38 years, and he's still not walking. Now, it doesn't say, but for some reason, Jesus selected this man among the multitude of people that were there. There's all kinds of sick and paralyzed and lame people there, but Jesus walks up to this one man. You know, we think about this, he could have had a big, big, you know, healing crusade in that moment had he wanted to. He just could have walked around touching people, healing people had he wanted to. But why this one man when there's a whole host of people in need? I wish I had an answer for that. Charles Spurgeon said this, A blindness had come over these people at the pool. There they were, there was Christ, who could heal them, but not a single one of them sought him. Their eyes were fixed on the water, expecting it to be troubled. They were so taken up with their own chosen way that the true way was neglected. It was as if they believed that This is how I can make it in life. How I find healing, how I find hope, is in the water. And the water of life walks into the area. Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Healer of all, the King of all, our Hope of all, our Redeemer, walks in. And they're fixed on the water, not on the Savior. We may ask, you know, as Jesus is standing in the midst, what are they waiting for? Okay, if we're, if we're again, sometimes like, well, if I would have been there, well, had you been there, what would you have done? Well, ask yourself what you're doing today in your life. When you are in need, who are you turning to? Are you turning to those things in your life, those habits in your life, those fixes in your life, or are you turning to Jesus? Because if you're sitting here saying, they should have turned away from the pool and looked at Jesus, first we've got to ask ourselves, do we turn away from our things to look to Jesus when we're in need? It's as if they were spiritually blind, right? But they were physically helpless, but we know this, some of them were spiritually helpless too in this moment. So Jesus came this man, And approached him. If our salvation depended on us recognizing Jesus and reaching our hand to him, I would have to ask this question Would we be saved? I don't think we would. Instead of waiting for us to go to him, God sent Jesus to us. And he speaks the words that give life. Jesus asked this man, What? Would you like to get well? Again, I'm not going to have you raise your hands. I'm not going to have you discuss this with the person next to you. But doesn't that seem like a sarcastic question? Doesn't it seem like sort of a silly thing to say? He's been an invalid. He's been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to him and says, Would you like to get well? He didn't walk up to him and say, Hi, I want to introduce myself to you. I am Jesus Christ. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. Um, I haven't really proclaimed that yet to a lot of people. but And I've done some amazing miracles. Here's my resume. And everything. You know, he didn't do any of that. He just walked up to him and said, Would you like to get well? It seems like a sarcastic question, but yet it was a sincere question, because the truth is, not everyone wants to get better. Some people have lost hope. And we know even today, some people use their problems as their identity. They wouldn't know who they were if they didn't have a problem. And in this man's case, it was reasonable to wonder if he really wanted to be healed. Because if you're an Eastern beggar, if you are healed, you have no income coming in anymore. Because you used to find your income from people giving to you because you were paralyzed. I'm healed now, now what am I going to do? It'd be something that he was familiar with. And so why would he want to change up a routine that he's had for 38 years? And sometimes the problems we have, we can fix. But the question is, do we really want to fix it? So for Jesus to come up and say, do you want to get well? Might be actually a good question. Think about this. No matter what your goal you're trying to achieve in life Whatever it is you're striving for in life, whatever it is that you're trying to solve, you have to want the solution more than the process of getting there. Everybody wants a championship team, but nobody wants to work hard for it. If people truly understood what it took to have a championship team, the hard work, the sacrifice, what it means, that's difficult. Difficult if they truly wanted the championship they would work hard for it. If you really want to get well then you would work for it. If you really want to get out of debt then you would do everything you could to get out of debt. Dave Ramsey always says if you want to live like nobody else you've got to live like nobody else. Dr. Edward Miller he's the 13th dean of John Hopkins University School of Medicine, noted this, I put the quote up there. He goes, if you look at people after coronary artery bypass graft, two years later, 90% of them have not changed their lifestyle. People have surgery to fix what's going on in their heart, and what they do is the surgery they endured to save their life ends up being a temporary fix. They all want to live but they're not changing their habits, is what this doctor is saying. Do you really want to get well? Well, yes, then you need to make some changes. I will help you, but you need to make some changes, right? So, is it fair for Jesus to say, Would you like to get well? Absolutely, because he knows our hearts. It's not just the condition of clogged arteries, it's a hardness towards holiness. He knows that we can talk a good talk, but to change, deep down inside, we sort of grow accustomed to our situations and our environment and what's going on, and we sort of get in that groove, right? So what I read here as I'm looking in Scripture in John chapter 5 is something I've known for years in counseling. You can't help someone who doesn't want your help. You can go ahead and schedule a counseling appointment with me or another counselor. You can say, Hey, can I bring my kids in to come talk to you? They need to, somebody to talk to them. Or, or, can I bring my spouse in? And then you need to talk to them. Here's the deal if they don't want help, it doesn't matter what I say. If they don't want it, nothing will change. So, is it fair for Jesus to say, Would you like help? Absolutely. There needs to be a realization, a point in life where somebody looks at their life and says, I truly want change. That's when Jesus says, do you want help? And you go, yes, I do. Good. Now we're ready to do something. Look at verse 7. Jesus has that question. He replies, I can't, sir. The sick man said, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. I mean, the crippled man assumes Jesus knew how things worked at the pool of Bethesda. And he explained to Jesus, yeah, this is why it's impossible for me to get healed. And quite naturally, the man couldn't think of any other way for his need to be met. This is probably the only way I can, you know, find a new life. And, well, it's not working out. But this man had an interesting hope and also hopelessness. He had a hope or he would have never come to the pool in the first place. Yet there he was. He had little hope that he would ever have the chance of getting into the water. And after that explanation and excuse for his condition, Jesus told him to do something that he couldn't do. Stand up. It's like, what? First you asked me, don't I want to get well. And I said, yes, but here's why. And then you look at me and you say, stand up? Don't you realize I've been paralyzed for 38 years? It's impossible for him to stand up, right? Let alone stand up, pick up your bed mat, And go for a walk. At that moment, Jesus challenged this man to believe him for the impossible. It's easy to imagine that this man's first reaction was what? I can't. Why even try? Yet something prompted this man to say, if this man tells me what to do, I'm going to do it. Because if we are reading in scripture correctly, Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Walk. There are no missing verses between 8 and 9. Verse 9 says what? Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. And the miracle happened on the Sabbath. Jesus tells this man to get up and walk, and he asks him to do something he hasn't done 38 years. And, and here's what we discover, that we can't expect change if we're going to continue to do the same thing over and over. You may have to do something in your life you've never done before, or you haven't done in a long time if you want to see some kind of change, right? And that's what happens with this man. Instantly, this happens as the man responded in faith to what Jesus told him. He did exactly what Jesus told him, and he was healed. And what did that moment look like? Can you picture in your mind somebody who's never walked for 38 years, paralyzed, paralyzed, an invalid, that's his name, invalid. What a great way to describe this man, right? 38 years. Can you picture that moment? Have you ever watched a baby walk for the first time? Have you ever seen them try to get up and they wobble around and they fall? Right? you ever broken a bone, been in a cast for a few weeks, maybe a month or more? There's an incredible amount of what's called atrophy where your muscles shrink. Have you ever I've seen that before? take a cast off my hand. I'm like, whoa, that's pretty small. That's pathetic compared to the other one, right? And you're sort of weak. So you got to work out. You got to go through rehab and physical therapy to get stronger, to get back to normal, right? And that might take quite a while. When you think about all that, And then you look at a man who's been paralyzed 38 years and Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly pops up. What did he do? Again, someday when I get to heaven, this is another thing I want to see. God, can you rewind back to John 5? Can you show me? Or maybe I can go find Mr. Invalid and ask him what did you do? Will he be there? How did you did you did you jump up? Did you do the Toyota leap? Did you do a cartwheel? Did you do a tap dance? Did you dance? Did you did you jump? Did you what did you do? Or did you just stand up and just like ah, speechless? What did you do? I would love to have seen that moment. You know, Jesus never put that man in the water. He never pulled water out of the pool and threw it on him. He showed those nearby that God can use resources or no resources to do the impossible. Everybody thought it was the pool. Jesus says, it's not the pool. It's me. God is able to do whatever he needs to do to change us. Regardless of what you or myself or others think that you have going on in your life, God has everything He needs to change us. Again, what's going through this mind, the mind of this man's head? I mean, what was going through his head as he's thinking, "What just happened?" I mean, prior to coming to the pool, it was just another day. Somebody carry me in, drop me off. He's always the invalid. I, drives me crazy, lame man. Invalid. That was his label. We don't know his name. What was it? But isn't it like a lot of people around us today? Man, she's sour. Ugly. Poor. What a snob. We have all kinds of labels for people, don't we? People we don't know. I could probably get a little more descriptive, but I wouldn't say that would be actually a good thing to do in a church setting or any setting, right? But we have labels for people. We label people by the sins they've committed. Oh, he's a liar. He's a cheater. Sometimes we wear those labels ourselves thinking I'm unforgiven, right? I'm 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 abused. I've been hurt. And we wear the labels we put upon ourselves forgetting that we've been created in God's image, forgetting that when God forgives us, he gives us a new label. We're called his children. And although we've been marred and disfigured by sin, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us, to redeem us, to give us a new name, to restore our lives. To remove those sin labels and put a new name tag on your chest that says, child of God, forgiven, redeemed. That's your new name, right? In 1963, Hall of Fame baseball player Gaylord Perry made an an offhanded comment as he was stepping into the batter's box. Famous pitcher, he says this: "They'll put a man on the moon before I hit a home run." That statement was see, wasn't totally baseless because pitchers are really not known for being good hitters. Okay, but it's rather ironic that Gaylord Perry hit the first and only home run in his major league career on July twentieth, nineteen sixty nine. Just a few hours after Neil Armstrong put his foot on the moon. That's sort of funny. The day I had a home run is the day we put a man on the moon. He did. Sometimes we make these self proclamations about what we can or cannot do, and we end up paralyzed by those comments. Bethesda is what we hang around instead of dancing with Jesus. I want you to ask some questions. I want to give you another quiz. You don't have to answer these questions out loud, but I want you to answer them. What is your Bethesda? In this story, Jesus comes to those who are utterly helpless. They can't save themselves. Neither can we. We cannot save ourselves. What is your Bethesda? Is it money? Do you think that's what's going to save you? Your job? A title? Your status? Your popularity? My popularity is what's going to save me. All those things will not get you into heaven. They will not make you satisfied. They will not give you peace. They will not give you the hope that you and I need. What have we placed our hope in? You may think your car your home will make you feel better. It's nothing but a pool in Bethesda. Your job, your position on a team, your title will never give you the peace that you want. Your spouse, your special someone who you're seeing will never give you completeness or wholeness. All those things we chase after do not fulfill our needs. What we really need is Jesus honestly answer that question. What is your Bethesda? Let me ask you another question. And no, this wasn't from Dr. Phil. And how is that working for you, right? But is that working for you if that is your pool? For years, that invalid went to the pool in hopes of getting better. How did that work out for him? Let me tell you, 38 years, it didn't work for him. Although it didn't work, he kept going back. Don't we do the same thing? What are you continuing to do in your life that isn't working? Maybe it's time to change. Maybe it's time to look into the eyes of the one who can make the change in your life. Is it an addiction? Maybe you're spending money that isn't there. Maybe you're opening up a bottle, hoping to drown your worries and fears. Maybe you're turning to a website, looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. Maybe social media is now robbing you of your time and your self-value. What has handicapped you from walking strong with Jesus Christ? What do you need to get rid of to su- Or subtract from your life? Third question. Do you want to get well? Same question Jesus asked the invalid, right? Do you want to get well? Do you want to change? Confess it. You need to hear what you don't want to hear. And you're going to have to do what you don't want to do. Because you can't expect God to do the supernatural if you're not willing to do what is natural. We have to do our part and understand God will do his part. Next question, will you admit your need? Invalid made some excuses, didn't he? Well, I get here and I and I can't get over to the pool, and by the time I get in somebody he had all these excuses, right? We need to stop making excuses and just admit our need, and God will heal us. He will take away your spiritual paralysis and help you start your journey. But before that happens, you gotta admit your need. Will you admit your need? Last question. Is it too late? Never, never. This man was past his life expectancy because in New Testament times, 25 is over the hill, 38, you're doing really good, okay? He'd been an invalid for 38 years. No matter what your age or how long you've been missing out on a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not too late. If you are breathing here today, God's not done with you. It's never too late. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me as you stand, um, I want us to ask those questions as we pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome and almighty God. And God, there is no other way to you except through your son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way to find healing physically, spiritually, only through you. Heavenly Father, I know you sent Jesus to us. Just like Jesus went to that man by the pool, you come to us, and you ask us this question. God, I hope we hear this question this morning from you. Do we want to get well? Do we want to get things right in our life? God, it starts first with just the spiritual hardness in our hearts. Do we want to get right with you, first of all? Yes, yes, I hope and pray that everyone in this room, God, is asking that question and seeking you and saying, do I want to get well? Yes, I want to get well. And it begins with that spiritual focus first of getting things right with you. And God, maybe there's something else going on in our life that we're struggling with. That we've placed our hope in some other false pool thinking that these things will make us feel better this will, this will solve our answers or our, our questions and, and it will take care of our problems but it leaves us empty and there we sit waiting for change God this morning's a time for change we want to approach you right now God through prayer and saying forgive us God Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of those things that we've trusted and and thought could make us better people. That could help solve our problems. It's only you can do that. God, thank you for being a healer. Not in just this man who had a problem with paralysis but for healing our hearts for giving us new life through your son Jesus Christ if we've never confessed that God this is a good morning to do that to have new life with you spiritually God I thank you for this church I pray Lord that as we go through this week that we remember kind of God that you are, that you are able to do all things, to help us in those moments of despair, to give us peace when we are so anxious, to give us hope when we're hopeless. God, you can provide that. We worship you for that reason. God, we want to sing to you now because you are almighty. In that name we pray.